scriptures. And, and um, Lord God, I pray that the folks who are here, that their hearts would be <clears throat> just fertile soil, Lord, that, that your seeds would plant, land on and that, that they would grow into, into a great harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, <clears throat> several years ago, actually it's quite a few years ago now, my wife and I uh, went to Arkansas uh, for a job interview. Uh, this is eternity ago, and, and we did not take that job, which is good, because uh, it was Arkansas. <clears throat> um, and, but, but something kind of crazy happened. We, we uh, were driving down, or we drove down there, we were there, and like the third day we were in the, in the area, our check engine light came on. Now, I look at a check engine light, and my assumption is that's an oxygen sensor or something that doesn't matter, right? And so I put my little piece of black tape over it, and I say, look, honey, I fixed it. Um, actually, I said, you know, look, we, we spent a lot of money coming down here. It's probably nothing. We'll deal with it when we get home. So we're, we're driving from Arkansas to northern Indiana. It was a few hundred miles, and we're driving an old, uh, I was a Nissan... Pathfinder, that's right. Um, and and this, this Pathfinder, we're driving along, and um, I'm, I'm looking at this check engine light, and I'm thinking, well, it's still nothing. I didn't actually put black tape over it. Um, black tape costs money. Um, <laughs> and, and we're driving along, and at, at the southern tip of Illinois, I noticed that um, we were stopping for gas a little more often than we had been before. And that made me a little worried. And I thought, hey, maybe I should pull over. I thought, oh, no, we'll just get home and we'll worry about it then. And then about the middle of Illinois, our, our gas stops became about every 100 miles. <laughs> Uh-oh. And I, I thought, well, that's bad. And I thought, well, we'll just make it home. It'll be okay. Just don't think about it. It'll be okay. <laughs> And then I'll remember, actually, I can close my eyes and picture this, like, recreate it in my head pretty accurately. My wife was sleeping um, with the dog in the back, you know, because we took our dog with us because we're crazy. Um, and, and we're driving along, and all of a sudden, like, you know, 10 miles after our fill-up, we were driving along, and all of a sudden, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure there was a small person with a, with a sledgehammer in the uh, engine compartment because, because all of a sudden the engine, which which had been making some sort of noise, but I turned the radio up to fix that, um, started making a sledgehammer noise, a fast, loud, angry sledgehammer noise. And I turned the stereo up even louder. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I pulled over at that point. Um, because, like, I can ignore things, right? But this was one of those car problems you can't ignore, I, I, I had a Saturn once that my wife said we should get rid of it, and I said no, and it caught fire later in the day. Um, and that was a problem I couldn't just ignore. <laughs> I did drive it home on fire. It, it, was, it was about a half a mile. Um, <laughs> it was not, I'm not smart. Um, I had to roll the window down. And, anyway, <laughs> so, so this, this, this Nissan that we had never ran again. Um, it, it was, it was really, really broken. Everybody with me? Um, and, and actually we, we had it towed to a dealership because we could get it towed to a dealership for free. And that was the, you know, it was like the furthest tow job that we could get and said, we'll get it, get it closer to home. You know, and they, they towed it and they looked at it and they said, well, uh, there was no oil. 
Um, and so that's part of the problem. Um, and they, I mean, there was a whole mess of things wrong. I, I, I had made a mistake because I had looked at a problem and I said, rather than deal with this problem, we're going to compromise by doing nothing. <laughs> right? Is everybody with me? Is this a bad course of action? Well, apparently, because it cost me a car, um, and, and a car I hadn't finished paying for yet, um, which, is, which is really something. Um, so we're in Judges, um, and, and we've sort of started talking about the compromise that the people of Israel have been like engaging in. They, in the very beginning of the book, there's sort of a recounting of the last of the conquering of the promised land. The very last of the, the like God's people spreading out into Israel, into the, the promised land and taking possession. And they had been given some pretty specific instructions. And from the very beginning, we see them breaking the rules. Um, we see them like like slowly at first, little compromises, little things that became big things, that became huge things that eventually became a breakdown. And actually, in the book of Judges, the theme of the whole book is the descent, right? Things start out okay, and they just progressively get worse as the people allow, like, their compromise and their sin and their rebellion and their disobedience to God to, like, deteriorate their position. And we're at the very beginning, the end of the conquest, and, like, there's, the last three messages are sort of a, a series that, that presents this order. We had the story of Othniel, um, who was the first judge, and winning his wife and, like, winning a section of land for himself, this, this action hero, like, ideal man kind of guy, like this, this picture of perfection, right? And actually, we talked about in that sermon, we talked about how he, a lot of things in this guy's life, he was very much, like, reflected the life of Jesus, right? He is the ideal man. And so, like, as, as you sit here and think, like, who is the perfect person you wish you could be more like? This is who Othniel was. And the story begins with him because he's awesome. Last week, we looked at the part of the conquest where the compromises begin. And the compromises are little. Um, for example, uh, while the, the people of Joseph, like they're, the tribe of Joseph, they're, they're surrounding a city. They see a man entering the city. They pull him aside and say, hey, you help us get in without having to knock the walls down. And we'll let you go. He says, a great deal. And then he goes and he, he, they conquer the city and he goes and he founds another city, which becomes a headache later. And so they made a contract with the people of the land, a person, and that contract becomes a headache later because it was defying the instructions they had been given by God. He told them very directly in Deuteronomy, don't make any treaties with these people. Don't let them live where you're at. Don't, you know... Like, like, these are your instructions. Conquer the land. Take it completely. It is yours. I've given it to you. I'll win your battles for you. And, and they didn't follow it. And actually, that's the very next thing that happens. They, they can't take the planes because they've got iron chariots. And, like, they, they're, well, you know, what we have is okay. Let's not bother fighting these guys. And they compromised. They left the plains unconquered in the south. This is the Judean people. Um, so as we go into this, there's going to be a lot of battle story, okay? And we're going to go through it quick because there's a lot of geography, and I, I do not like geography. I'm not good at it. Um, and there's a lot of Hebrew names, which I'm even worse at. I might have John come up and read them because um, it's funnier to laugh at him than to laugh at me. Uh, <laughs> so the, the, they have this big problem of compromise that plays out, and it gets... 
like illustrated here. So this is Judges 1, 22 to 26. There's two slides of this. I'm going to go through it quick, and I'm going to hit the highlights here, okay? The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel. This is um, the last bit from last week, sorry. Um, went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them, and the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz, and the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, please show us the way in. Um, he, he shows them the way in, they conquer the city, and then he forms another city. We're going to skip over it because I reviewed it. I didn't plan on reviewing it until right now, and I did. So um, that's the problem of making it up as you go. Um, Manasseh, this is after the story of, of Joseph, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, and the inhabitants of Ibleam and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Now, watch what happens here. They, go, they do their conquering, and they, they get to this point where this big string of like seven cities, and they don't bother conquering them. Now, why does that matter? Well, um, Israel, I've never been, but I do know some things about it. It is a, it is a small country that is awful geographically. Um, there is a mountain range that runs down the middle of it that divides both sides of the country, right? And if you do not control certain roadways, you can't get anywhere. John's been there. It's true, isn't it? It is a very difficult place. It's weird that people fight over it, to be honest with you, because there's a lot of desert and there's a lot of rocks, um, and it's really hard to get around. These seven cities occupy a major trade route. And so in order to do business in the future, they got to deal with these Canaanites. And beyond that, in order to do business, they allow them to like, continue living there so they continue to be an influence. Um, I, I've lived in, my dad was in the Air Force. I moved 16 times, I think, before I moved out on my own. Um, and I, I, people often pick on me about my accent being so strange because I got a little bit of Deep South. I got a little bit of... This, I got a little bit of that, because you can't live amongst folks without picking something up, right? Um, and, and it is the case. I mean, there are little things you'll pick up along the way. If you live in Texas for any length of time, you'll grow to love Dr. Pepper. No reason. It's like the state, it's the state beverage, um, just like the state tree of Montana is the, the telephone pole. Um, it's because there aren't any other trees. Um, but, like, the, the people continued to live there, and that compromise worked out for them, by the way. The next line, when Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites into forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. So they could have kicked them out, but in the end, their compromise was, well, these guys are too tough. We're not going to, like, rely on God to beat them. And now that we are tough enough to beat them, man, slaves would be nice, wouldn't they? And so let's just go ahead and make them slaves. The problem, again, is, first off, disobeyed God, which is the big, big problem. But the influence spreads. And these guys keep rising up, and they keep creating problems. There is a lot of headache. But this is the beginning of it. But they got slaves out of the deal. Isn't that awesome? But they disobeyed God. Not so awesome. Um, I'm not endorsing slavery. I'm sorry. That came out wrong. Um, that would be their attitude. Hey, now we don't have to work. But, like, in addition to not working, like, they've disobeyed God, and they've created problems. So we go on. Um, 
and Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Do you sense the theme here? Uh, who lived in Gezer. And in, uh, so the Canaanites lived in Gezer amongst them. Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron and the inhabitants of Nathalal. Um, so the Canaanites lived amongst them and, but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of, oh, thank you, sorry, did not drive out the inhabitants of Acho or uh, of Helabah or Aphek or Rahab. Um, so the Asherites lived amongst the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land, but they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. Um, so they lived amongst the Canaanites and inhabited the land. Therefore, the inhabitants of Beth Shemeth and the um, and of Beth Anath uh, became subject to forced labor for them. So there's this big section, and some of these guys, verse 28 in there is in the middle, like, and there's actually this this odd standout point there. A bunch of these guys, they say, well, we can't beat them, so we'll just let them stay, and eventually they got strong enough, they turned them into slaves. Right in the middle, there's this 28 where, like, they couldn't beat them, and they're like, Let's just be neighbors. Hey, well, you know, it's all right. Yeah, I'm sure God doesn't want us to do that, but uh, let's just leave them alone. It's too much work, right? And this is like a major compromise because not only are they saying disobeying God, but they're disobeying God in a way that sort of invites in problems. It's, It's not so much a pragmatic disobey God as an apathetic disobey God. And so we have a... Um, disobey, um, but conquered, right, with Joseph, disobeyed, conquered, made slaves, um, and then finally, like, disobeyed, let's all hang out together, right? There's a descent, um, and it's a natural descent that comes with compromise. Um, Now, here's where this gets kind of funny, the Amorites, this is the northernmost part of the country, because the, the progression is from the south to the north, right? Like the whole story is told from the south to the north, because the conquest was a sweep upward. And it gets crummier and crummier as they go further and further. Um, because it's a lot of work, and man, this is too much. And so we get to the Amorites, um, pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down onto the plain. So we have hey, you guys can live by us, it'll be all right, to God's people aren't even allowed to live in the land that he promised them because they're so not able to conquer that they get kicked out and forced to live in the rocks. Like, this is the other end of things where, like, their their compromise and their lack of trust in God and their lack of obedience has hit a culminating point, and they don't even manage to conquer the land. Um, and they have to live at a distance. It's one thing to say, well... You know, the Canaanites who aren't supposed to be here, they can live at a distance. It's another thing to say they can live amongst us. It's a whole other thing entirely for these folks to say, yeah, you go hang out over there. Like, you know, you, you're not welcome here. Um, the other thing that happens here um, that we don't see as much um, and this is verse 35. If you don't know the geography and the history, you can miss this. But watch. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Heres, in Ajalon, and in Shabalim, uh, by the hand of the house of Joseph, or but the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them. Um, and they became subject to forced labor. And the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabim to Selah and upward. Now, the city they mention is a major entry point into the country, okay? This would be like, uh, 
Buffalo, right? Have you all been to Buffalo? Um, there are two things in Buffalo, right? What are they? Waterfalls. Buffalo is where uh, uh, Niagara Falls, isn't it? Right? Am I getting that right? There are waterfalls there, and there's the doorway to Canada. Have you ever crossed that bridge? It's a big entry point. I mean, a lot of people go in and out of Canada that way. My geography is terrible. I might be wrong. Um, but the, the Canadians in the room haven't corrected me yet, so I assume I'm okay. Um, <coughs> so this major point, it's, a, it's an economic center. It's a strategic value. And they don't bother to capture it. They're unable to capture it. But then the guys from the tribe of Joseph show up and they say, hey, you know, we could take those, those jerks. They take the area. Do they give it to who it belongs to? Nope. That's ours. <laughs> because God had divided the land up and said, this belongs to you, this belongs to you, and this belongs to you. And the guys from Joseph's tribe didn't care. <laughs> they wanted what they wanted, and they got it. And so the guys from Dan get the short end of the stick, and the guys from Joseph win. Now, all of this, I mean, this is the bottom rung here, Right? as much compromise as you're going to see. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, but this is a parallel for the rest of the book. When we get further into the book, we'll find spots where the Canaanites who are hanging out amongst them, the Jewish people are like, let's adopt your religion. Hey, sacrifice our children to Baal? I'll throw my kid in the fire. Let's do that. I mean, and it, what? How did they get there? But it's it's never in big steps, is it? It's little steps. Um, I, when I look back on my life and I see the biggest areas where my like sin has sort of overtaken me, right? I didn't start big. I started little. And it was a little bit and a little bit of compromise and a little bit of giving in and a little bit, hey, this is all right. It doesn't matter. And before you know it, you're in this place you never thought you'd be. And you're like, what am I supposed to do now? Um, we're going to get into that a little bit more in depth later. We've got one last chunk of verses. It's in two slides. Um, so this is the beginning of chapter 2, and it's sort of the bridge. It's the end of the previous section. We're going to dive into the next section, but like 2-1. Like, um, and now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochem. Now, this is an odd thing, and translations kind of go either way. The word angel there actually means messenger. Right? So the messenger of God, and like in other spots, it's definitely an angel showing up and talking. In some places, it's definitely a prophet because, you know, the word used there is applied to prophets. It's a very fluid word. It's, it's kind of tough to understand. Most people settle on it being the angel of the Lord. Right? Now, the angel of the Lord, so this, this messenger from God, went, you know, to a gathering of the people, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt. I brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your side. And their God shall be a snare to you. So as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words, all of the people of Israel lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim, which basically means weeping. Um, 
and they sacrifice there to the Lord. This is the only place in the book where you see the, God's people repenting, by the way. The only place where they get really upset and they like cry out and they sacrifice and they repent. Like from here on out, they're, you know, they call out to God, hey, come help us, but they're never sorry that they're like in the position they're in. Okay? So the angel shows up, he speaks for God, he says, hey, you guys blew it. You know, you did exactly what I said you shouldn't do, and from here on out, you're on your own. And this is upsetting. And it should be, right? Because now they're in a spot where, no matter how bad it gets, if they try and fight on their own, they're going to lose. Because God ain't helping them. Um, And there's a bunch of parallels here um, to the way we live our lives. Um, Now watch this. As we compromise with sin as we compromise with brokenness, as we compromise with, with every area of our walk with God, like the more we do that, um, the more we back up and we become unable to stop it. Does that make sense? Um, I, I remember, well, gosh, I will hold off on that. Um, the, the more that sin like happens, and so like what we see here is this idea that God is not really about compromising. Okay. Now, you could take this and apply it to the world, which a lot of people want to do, but I'm going to tell you that's a mistake. Um, people will say, oh, well, you know, and that's why we have to drive out every pagan person from our town. Let's get our pitchforks and torches now. You know, it's not really what this is about, right? Um, as we apply this text to us, um, the beginning place for applying it is our own heart and our own lives, right? Um, if you can't overcome the areas of compromise in your own heart and your own life, you fail to win the major fight that God has given you. Do you understand me? Um, I got two quotes from, from a guy named Tozer. Anybody know who A.W. Tozer is? Tozer is a giant in Christian writing. I actually I listened to an audio book that, like, from him, and I had to pull over every five minutes to write down what I was hearing. Because he is one of those guys, he was hardcore and he was serious and he was, he was amazing. And he's heavily quoted. He's, he basically shaped um, like a huge chunk of Western Christianity, right? Now, and I got two quotes here. Now watch this. We are not diplomats but prophets and our message is not compromise but an ultimatum, meaning follow God or don't, right? So when it comes to my own life, I follow God or I don't. Um, I you know, put away like things of the flesh. I don't indulge in, you know, those, those websites. You know the ones I'm talking about, right? If I visit them, my wife murders me. Those ones, dot com. Um, <laughs> those compromises, right? We don't do that. Um, it's not an either or. It's just not. You choose to walk with God and you obey him. Um, or you don't. That's actually why Jesus said, uh, you're neither hot nor cold He's in, in Revelation, but lukewarm. I'll spit you out of my mouth because nobody likes lukewarm water. Um, another quote from Tozer. True obedience is the refusal to compromise in any regard our relationship with God, regardless of the consequences. Same message, right? Watch this. A.W. Tozer was married. He had like six kids. Okay? A.W. Tozer was a was a machine when it came to writing books and teaching and preaching and doing the business of God's work, right? Um, But there was this crazy thing that happened. Um, He died relatively young, and his wife remarried, right? And she married a man who, who loved her and who took care of her and took care of her family. 
And there's this crazy thing, right? Um, she said uh, her wife um, said of her husband, Aiden loved Jesus Christ, but Leonard loves me. Um, she also said, I've, I've never been happier in my life um, than with this, like, new marriage that she had. Um, because Tozer, um, for all of the awesome things he did with God, neglected his wife and family. He saw that she had this amazing gift for, for like, welcoming people into her home. Um, she, she was an amazing cook, and she kept this pristine house, and she always wanted to have people over. And, like, Tozer, like, encouraged her in these gifts, but he didn't like being around people that much, and so he would never have anybody over. And so, like, like he actually has whole books about Christian fellowship and how important it was, and he encouraged his wife to be, like, really welcoming to strangers, but he held everybody at a distance and didn't invite anyone in. Man, how much did his wife love that? Um, I've read other things where it talks about how he just, it's not that he was mean, it's not that he was cruel, he just didn't spend time with her. He didn't pursue her. He didn't spend time with his kids. Like, like um, his wife, after his death, talked about how, like, as much time as he put in there, we were sacrificed, like, basically they were sacrificed on the altar of ministry. Um, a man who said true obedience is refusal to compromise in any regard. Compromised. And he compromised where it mattered most, right? Um, he compromised in relation to his wife and family. Um, actually, that's in Timothy, um, where Paul is giving um, Timothy instructions on picking pastors. And he says, listen, if you're going to pick a, a leader, an elder, or a pastor in your church, make sure he's pastoring his home first. Because if he ain't doing that, he doesn't belong leading, leading the church. So Tozer doesn't even meet the qualification. Because he compromised in an area and never saw it. Ah, that's painful, isn't it? I'm not saying he's not saved. I'm not saying that he was a pagan. I'm not saying his books aren't amazing. I'm saying that compromise is a crazy thing because it sneaks up on us. It does. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples of how this happens. Now watch this. It happens when we see something so important to do that we neglect everything else. Pastors are notorious for this. The best thing that God ever gave me um, was a man named Denver Burns. He doesn't listen to my sermons, so he, he won't know I said this. Um, but Denver told me he would work a certain number of hours, and then he would work with his kids. He would go home, and he would work from home with his kids around. He would put in office hours, but he always had his kids with him. And he would do visits sometimes with his kids. And he, like, all of these things. And he told me, he said, Eric, if you go into ministry, do not sacrifice your family. If you do not raise godly children, you're failing. And, like, I, I believe him, right? But men compromise and they see great things. Great jobs to do. Great things. You know, oh, i got to do this. This is so important. This is my career. This is my calling. This is the passion God has given me. But this compromise in relation to our family is never acceptable. We compromise in the face of hurt sometimes. Like the big long swath of brokenness that I experienced in the middle of my, my walk with God, like that nearly wrecked my marriage and wrecked my, my life. Like all of that stuff was a product of a handful of tragic losses. And I, I stood alone and I was afraid to talk to anyone about it. And so I isolated and I drank and I hid and I didn't deal with any of my life because I, it was too painful and too hard. And I hid from God for years and years while I was doing ministry. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Um, and I did it 80 hours a week. <laughs> um, 
But in reality, I was fleeing from like real relationship with God and real relationship with the people around me because I was hiding my sin. I was hiding my hurt and I was hiding my brokenness, right? But that's a compromise that folks make every day. Isn't it true? I can't be the only one. It's true. We say, that hurts, I'm going to hide from it. And we sacrifice everything in the name of compromising with these invaders in our life, this brokenness that takes over part of our lives. It's awful. And the last area I'm going to talk about is um, our flesh, right? I mean, people compromise. I mean, gosh, I read a, uh, an awful statistic about a Baptist, Southern Baptist. It wasn't Church of God. We don't do that. Um, but this... <laughs> The Southern Baptist, like, convention of ministers, they all stayed in a hotel, filled the hotel up. They did a week-long, like, like seminar, like, like classes and meetings and everything else. And after they left, um, there was a survey done of the hotel TV rental charges. And I don't remember the percentage. I'm bad with numbers. But it was more than three-quarters of the men who stayed in that hotel accessed the adult channels. But that's compromise in the name of the flesh. This is what I enjoy. This is what I'm going to do. That happens in a lot of places. I know I'm supposed to, like, gosh, this is my week. I have been so busy. I've stayed up late every night, and I have a certain time I committed. I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to pray. And that alarm goes off, and I think, man, I didn't get to sleep till 2. I had important work to get done. I would love to get up and read my Bible and pray right now, but, man, I'm tired. But that's compromise, isn't it? And that compromise resulted in me doing a week without praying, like, in my designated spot. I prayed. I'm not not praying. Um, But not as much as I had planned on doing. Not as much as I had, like, set out to do because it was easier. Because I had work I had to do right now. And I'm sure God understands, right? Probably. Or probably not. Because talking, I mean, like... The breath and life of the, of the spiritual life, the walk with God, is prayer, right? If you ain't talking to God, you're not in a relationship with God. I, it's like my wife. Man, I love my wife. Um, there's probably about, she always says, I, I'm going to say it wrong. Uh, our anniversary is coming up. It's like three weeks away. We'll be married for 18 years. And she'll say, it's, we've been married for 18 years. It's the best 11 years of my life. Um, because I went... Ten years, or eleven, or I went eight years, about eight years, or seven years, where we didn't talk that much. Um, I can count, too. <laughs> Men, there's a lesson there if you don't remember how long you screwed up. <laughs> um, but it's, I mean, our, our walk with God is the same way, right? We talk to God or we don't. Um, actually, it, the step beyond that is our families, right? Men? In particular, this is your responsibility. The step beyond that is your family. Um, Peter says, hey, um, that you got to be, I can't quote it word for word right now. I'm sorry. I'm going to paraphrase. If you're not right with your wife, don't bother praying because God ain't listening, right? Like, make sure that your relationship with your wife is right so that your prayers aren't hindered. Like, if you are not managing your business, like, the responsibility you take on, then you aren't managing your relationship with God. Um, And the crazy thing about it is that it's unnecessary, because I found the closer I walk with God, the better my fathering works. Isn't that weird? The less compromise I engage in, the happier I am in the end. It's crazy. Um, 
not because I have everything I want, because sometimes I can't spend money I want to spend because it's God's money and I can't like play with it the way I want to. But I've never found something that was so fun that it replaced my like intimacy with God. Um, the three big dynamics here are, uh, you know what, I'm going to skip my last slide because I'm not sure if it's going to compromise what I was saying. Um, there's a final, like there are these comp consequences of ongoing compromise in our lives. And like my challenge for you today, my challenge for you as, as God's people, as the folks who are hearing me talk, um, if you are living in a place where like you are backing up, first off, actually, we're going to cut this in half. If you've sat here the whole time and thought, man, I wish so-and-so was here, he really needs to hear this. Who did it? I did it for years and years. Okay, so I'm that guy. Um, like, get over yourself for a second. I say that in a loving way. Pick up your mirror and look at your life. Because Tozer would have said, I am nailing it. But nobody told him that he was failing. Um, back up and look at your heart. Look at your life. Where are you failing? If you can't see anything, pair up with somebody who is like like a man or a woman of God, like somebody who is fierce and honest and loves you, and ask them, be brutal, where am I screwing up? Right? Because I am guarantee you, you find somebody who's like a real, like, passionate believer, they're going to tell you if you ask. Um, I, it, hurts, it hurts so much at first, but in the long run, it's worth doing, right? Um, that's actually why we're supposed to fellowship. It's why we're supposed to stand together as men, because... We can't see our own sins, right? Our pride blinds us. Our sin blinds us. Um, we can't hide them if we're standing close to somebody who can see them, right? You can erase your internet history enough times, but eventually somebody's going to catch you, right? Gosh, I keep coming back to that one. Um, so my, my challenge to you, first off, is look at your own life and ask, where am I screwing up? Ask those that are closest to you who are believers, who walk in Jesus, um, where am I screwing up? Where am I failing? How am I failing to be the man or woman that God made me to be? How am I failing to be the parent I'm made to be? How am I failing in my holiness? How am I failing in my service to God? How am I, like, where do I fix this? And then fix it. Because we don't live under the old covenant. God said to his people, hey, you're on your own. God does not say that to us. We have the Holy Spirit who helps us. We have new life in Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. He took all of our punishment on himself. And if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. We're not the people that we used to be. And we have the ability to change through the power of the Holy Spirit, through striving to disciple after Jesus, like to become like him. And my challenge to you is to, to do it. Um, walk in Christ. Um, Wherever you're failing, however you're struggling, today is the day to start over. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not next month. It's not on my deathbed. Today is the day to do it. Because I discovered in the years that I struggled and stumbled and failed and died spiritually, um, that the more I did it, the harder it got to, to fix it. Isn't it true? And then the day that I finally sat down and unpacked the whole thing for my wife, I thought she was going to stab me. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised she didn't, she would have been okay. Um, and it was hard to come back. Um, God will fix you. He'll forgive you for nothing, right? Because Jesus died for you. But fixing the mess in your life and the consequences of letting your sin go will, will 
it'll be hard if you let it keep going. Fix it, folks. Um, I got some books outside in particular. Uh, for the men, I've got four copies, I think, at this point, maybe three copies of a book called uh, Wild at Heart. It's about men. It is one of the best books I've read in recent years. I've got another book by the same author called Epic. If you read Wild at Heart or if you're not a man, read Epic. It's very short. I've got two copies of it. Um, they're all used copies at this point, but check it out. Read it. Men's ministry in the coming years is going to be about this, right? Um, let's close in prayer. I've gone really long, but I'm not sorry. Uh, Rebecca told me not to apologize anymore, and so I'm not apologizing. Um, then we have an elders meeting, and then uh, man movie Sunday at my house. Got it? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, just be with the folks in the room today. I pray that anybody who um, your Holy Spirit moved and they were pricked in their conscience or they found themselves getting uneasy and their feet getting a little sore because I'm clumsy and I step on folks' feet sometimes. I pray that everybody who's sitting in that spot, that they would be woken up this morning and that this wouldn't be the end of that feeling, that the fear of confessing that we're not perfect wouldn't be so great um, that they don't do it. The fear of of um, crossing the bridge and reconciling the brokenness in our lives wouldn't be so great. Lord, I pray that you would just move in a mighty way in the hearts of the folks who are here today. I pray that, that anybody who is anybody who's struggling and stumbling and lost and alone in, in their walk with you, Lord, that they would, they would find folks to walk next to them, that they would learn to confess and they would learn to grow, um, that they would be made whole in the name of Jesus. Amen.